Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art on MTR Podcast. I am your host, Rob Lee, and today's guest is musician, and I believe your, your role is like, you're, you're the president, right? You're the president of the Baltimore the Jazz Alliance, um, Ian Rashkin. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Hey, nice to be here. Um, so we were talking a little bit before we got started, um, and Baltimore, I've realized, is small when it comes to the scenes, uh, the different like uh, artists and creatives. And um, it, it was great to kind of like maybe step outside of who I generally kind of work with and who I've generally worked with in the past. It's kind of like. I feel like I've interviewed three artists from like the same group. And I was like, okay, I'm kind of just scraping the the bottom right here and reaching out and just connecting with you has been, um, it's been dope. And I wanted to get an idea of what your work is about, what you do to, you know, allow the artists to kind of speak on what they do and what the mission of the uh, BJA is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let me start with the sort of the BJA and how I tie to it. Um, sure. So I'm not from Baltimore. Uh, I came here about 15 years ago, and um, uh, I'm a bass player and a, a composer and, you know, play different kinds of things, but I got here and I didn't know anybody. Um, so I started, you know, slowly feeling my way out, trying to find find where people were at for jazz and, and, and different kinds of music. And, uh, and it was a little hard to find, and then I stumbled across the uh, BJA website, BaltimoreJazz.com, and, you know, so I, I was like, okay, let me check this out. And I subscribed to their newsletter. And um, and it was really, it was like, it, at least it gave me some grounding in where to look. Because that's one of the things, like you mentioned, you know, being in your in your box. And, and you know, and you sort of, you know, interviewing the people you know. And, and there's this other, what I've found in Baltimore is that, like there's these really cool scenes. There's a really cool jazz scene. There's a really cool punk scene like noise scene or sort of, you know, experimental weird scene. Um, But there's not like, it's not publicized. There's not a lot of uh, of ways to find out about it until you get into it. And then you're like, Holy crap, there's a ton of stuff going on. So, so that's what the BJA is about is trying to take the jazz portion of that and say, Hey guys, come on in and and join us in here. Cause there's a lot of really killer musicians in Baltimore. And, uh, you know, to me and to a lot of us, jazz is sort of like the ultimate self-expression. You know, you can really you can really be so free and yet so tied to history at the same time. There's just some amazing people in this town. And, uh, and so we try to bring them out and bring people to them. That's great. Uh, and that's, that's a, that's a great like mission or, or North star, if you will, for it. Uh, I, I was one of those people that I didn't know enough about it and I know, know enough about like the genre, a whole genre of music. And I just remember it was something my dad played and it was just like, it was like growing up as a kid. It's like, all right, this is my time when I'm ready. I'm listening to this and him just turning on, um, it was W E A A. It would be like mm-hmm. Morgan state and they would have their, um, it was like Gary Ellaby and they would be playing like different jazz. I'm like, ah, and now as an adult, I'm like, all right, turn that up a little bit. Like what are we doing here? And, um, that's, that's really cool. So I want to, um, and actually, it's funny. The only record I own, because I'm going to start collecting vinyl, is a Charles Mingus record. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, 
But uh, what what would you say? Because I want to want to talk about you as a, as an artist and more about the BJA as well. Um, but how how did you start playing? How did you get into playing? You said you're a bassist and a composer. How did you get into um, playing? Well, uh, I actually started out playing uh, like screaming into a microphone in punk rock bands in my teens, you know, early teens. And uh, I was out on the West Coast, so we played. Uh, we used to play all the shows because we were sort of a novelty kid band, you know, <laughs> young teenagers playing the, the, all the hardcore shows. And uh, and so we got a lot of gigs and we played with everybody out there, which was really cool. And uh, and that kind of gave me a taste for, you know, wanting to be in that. And I just never never wanted to be outside of the music scene after that. But as I got in, you know, I played some drums, I played some guitar, I played some bass, and I kind of settled on bass. And when I heard, like, Mingus, and Jaco Pistorius and a couple other people like that, I was like, oh shit, this is <laughs> where it's at. You know, this is what I want to do. And that's um, so why I just, you know, focused more and more on that and, and my tastes grew. And, and uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I don't want to diverge too much from your question, I guess, but um, but people sometimes think of, you know, jazz as like their parents' music or whatever and like, oh, or it's hard to get into or it's like sort of this either overthoughtful or maybe uh, complicated or just boring. And uh, I don't know, for me, coming from a, a punk background, it's like the next level of screaming self-expression. <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever you want and you can take things into it and tear them apart and spit them back out and work with people. It's like a communication thing. You know, it's just, it's pretty brilliant. So I've gotten more and more hooked on that. I think it was one of those things where, and I think a lot of people will run into that, that have that inclination of this is my parents' music or this is whatever the, the reputation it may be. I, I think for me, I'm a person who really believes in DIY and really believes in improvisation and all of that. And I was like, that's kind of what jazz is about in, in some ways. And it's like, have that foundation from my, my interpretation of it and in, in a very 30,000 foot view of it. But it's just like, I value this stuff. I was like, I need to just come back to it. And I think getting that season in AB and I think traveling to, um, New Orleans. That's, that's my, my favorite place to go. I've gone there like every birthday over the last few years, probably going to change this year, but, uh, I've gone there and I was just dipped and I was like, Oh, this is what I've been missing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like, that was a definitive experience for me. Um, do you have a maybe definitive experience or definitive song or album that, that hits you and just said, yeah, this is what I want to do and this is the direction I want to go in it. It's always hard for me to settle on one because there's a lot of things, but you know, one thing that's always stuck with me, it was, uh, I guess it was the early, it was the, it was the late eighties. I was, I was a late teenager and I had moved to Minneapolis and I was living in Minneapolis and that's when I just was starting to get into playing acoustic bass and understanding jazz a little bit and really getting into it. And one of my favorite, one of my, besides Mingus, uh, one of my real early influences and, and serious idols still is Niels Henning's Orsted Pedersen and Hopf, you'll hear him referred to as. And he was a, uh, he was a Danish bass player that played like 
every day with everybody in Europe. Like you hear him on a million records, yeah. you know, from Basie to, you know, I mean, he's just all over the map. He, he's all over. He's, and, and then he's done a bunch of things of his own where, you know, bass really took the forefront and he became a leader. So uh, I, I do remember like this one time going to the artist quarters, old bar in Minneapolis that used to be there and, um, and seeing him play. And, you know, it was a typical place like smoke. You could smoke back then, of course, smoke some drinks and people talking and having a good time. And he had this trio, just bass and trumpet and drums. And, you know, people are talking and listening. And then suddenly, like, he takes a bass solo and the whole place. <laughs> was like, you could hear a pin drop except for the bass. You know, like, people were yeah. so, f- I was like, yeah, you know, like, that's, they're, all of these people are getting it, just like I'm getting it. And that's really cool. That sounds really cool, actually. Um. So we, we mentioned uh, Charles Mingus, what have you, and it's, it's funny, um, some, of my, um, some of my friends uh, describe the way that I manage like podcasting and all of that stuff is very much the, the way his temperament was described. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll take that. And we have similar dimensions because I'm like 6'4 or something like big guy, what have you. Um, so... What is um, one of your favorite Mangus recordings? Like, I, I know it's kind of like a, a challenge to just like categorize it as one, but what's one that kind of sticks out that you're like, yeah, that's a real good one right there. And partially I'm looking for recommendations at this point, but go on. <laughs> I mean, his classic uh, um, um, is uh, that's kind of his most well-known, I guess. And it really is. I mean, it was one of the things that drew me into jazz for sure. And it still holds up to me as like, mind-blowing every time I listen to it. Uh, Blues and Roots is another one, a really important one that's just so free and so, um, you know, full of, full of not exactly anger, but full of energy that's it's really unbridled energy. Um, and, then, and then another one that really, um, that really, sort of always grabbed me was it's called the great concert of Charles Mingus. It was, it was a, a series of concerts in Europe, in Scandinavia. And it was, um, Eric Dolphy died on that tour. So it's like the last moments of Eric Dolphy playing with him. And then like, I think there's even one date where, you know, Dolphy wasn't there, and, but you know, it's just these like 20 minute song, you know, you go yeah. on like rhapsodic 20 minute kind of improvisation and it's very free and it's just, it's just amazing. So I'm, I'm going to be putting out recommendations. I'm like, look, I need my, need my record player. I need everything stacked up. Like I always get, I don't know what to get you, Rob. It's like, well, here's some records. Here's some suggestions right here. Um, because uh, the, the one that I really won is uh, Black Saint and the Center Lady. That's the one that I, that was kind of my introduction. Yeah. And uh, it's it's just like, I listen to it regularly and it's a, um, it's this other, it's this Japanese, um, I think his name is like Ryo Fukai maybe. And I, I just know he was a composer and that pulled me in and it was like a record from like the 60s. And it was that full circle moment where, 
I kind of impressed my dad because that's that that's his genre. He's like, look, I'm I'm into, and I was just playing, and he was like, hold on, what do you know about this? I was like, oh, oh, and we're just we used to have this moment where, well, this this period where we would just hang out, drink scotch, smoke cigars, and listen to jazz. That was Friday nights right. with my dad. It was uh, mm-hmm. it was a great it was a great time. It was a great bonding period, and it was over jazz music. Um. Who have been some of the more influential musicians in the, for your own development and maybe musicians that are local that you're like, yeah, they, they do good stuff? Yeah, but like I said, I'm not from here, so I already sort of, you know, I, I definitely appreciate a lot of the people here and I, I always have new influences, but a lot of my formative influences were, you know, from this this side of the country. Um but uh, you know, to, just to to name a couple of the the big, you know, big names, I guess. Obviously, Miles Davis, humongous influence on me. Um, John Coltrane as well. Um, but Don Cherry is a huge influence on me, and uh, Henry Threadgill also. Uh, if you don't know him, you should definitely check him out. Okay. He's from, yeah, he's a, he's a badass. And. Um, <laughs> Uh, but around here, there's been definitely some some great players that really inspire me all the time. Uh, Eric Kennedy is one that comes to mind. Uh, you'll see him around on everybody plays with him because he's he's one of the best in town, and he's just a real he's a drummer. Um, he also sings um, very well, but but you know he's a, he's an amazing drummer, and he you'll see him on everybody's dates because he's just that good, and he's a I've only got to play with him once or twice, and but he's a he's a great pleasure to play with, and a super nice guy, and he just he brings uh, an amazing amount of musicality to the to the drum set, you know. Um, Clarence Ward, you probably have heard his name. Uh, if not, you certainly should. He's one of the biggest names in town these days. He ran up until COVID hit us. He ran a Monday night jam session for years that was the place to be and everybody in town knew that everybody in in other towns knew that if you know people come up from dc people if they're passing through from new york or philly or whatever they're going to be there on monday night because that's the place to be um and uh you know he's a he plays trumpet and flugelhorn and uh and sax as well and he's just a a phenomenal talent yeah, I'm uh, looking but, at his um, Instagram right now. <laughs> yeah, got to follow him for sure because he, he's he's the bomb. And uh, there's a bunch of people. There's, you know, there's so many good, talented musicians in this town. Uh, it's kind of kind of unbelievable. Uh, Carl Grubbs so, is one of our our local treasures, I would say. Um, he's uh, you know one of the old school saxophone players, and uh, and he's. He's, he's been around and he's got some real interesting, you know, he can, he can blow and he sort of brings it back to the, uh, to the Coltrane kind of sound. And uh, yeah, there's just a ton. There's, there's too many to name. I don't want to discredit anybody by not mentioning it. So I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. I like that. I like that. Um, so as far as the, um, the, 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 the BJA, um, so how has your like view of, and, and maybe there's not even a real answer to this, but I'll at least shoot that shot. How is your view of like 
your your craft as a musician changed since you've been involved with BJA? Like, have you been more attentive to it? Have you taken a maybe a different approach and maybe composing or, or something along those lines? Has there been any change since you've gone into that role and work with BJA? That's an interesting question for sure. Um, you know, as a, I guess as a bass player um, in jazz, so I also do other kinds of music, and in other kinds of music sometimes I've been more of a leader. But in jazz, typically a bass player is more likely to be sort of in the background and supporting somebody. But um, maybe, maybe related to my role as you know, in the BJA as sort of leading, you know, part of the scene. And, and definitely I don't want to suggest that that the scene is in any way represented in full by the BJA. You know, we're just right. one, you know, we're just one group that tries to do what we can to help. But um, but people, people know me because of that and people know, you know, people come out to me because of that. And because of that, I'm able to sort of lead a little bit more and sort of direct things. So I was running a jam session every Sunday up until COVID. And, uh, you know, people would come out because they know me from the Jazz Alliance and then they start to get to know me and, you know, in person. And, and uh, I guess I, I sort of have gravitated towards like trying to make it a very inclusive, draw people in uh, because of my, role in the BJA and maybe just because of who I am, but I just want to bring people in as players, as listeners and make sure, you know, make sure that the, that the music is doing for them what it should do for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I have, I usually have like, let's see, I have two more questions and then I have some, Baltimore oriented questions, which I hear intimidate people. And I, you've been here, you, you said that, you know, you're not from here, but you've been here for a decade and a half. So, you know, yeah. you're, you're not new, you're not a newbie. <laughs> so um, in, in terms of, in your experiences as a musician and with all the other things, you have like a long like resume, because I believe I read that you're a, like you're a software guy. So yeah, that's Day job. So, you know, I gave up. I, did, I went to music school, uh, University of Washington, um, for classical bass, actually, and composition. And I still do both of those things as well. But, um, but I was playing jazz throughout and playing experimental music throughout. Um, and for a while, I kind of tried to make my living playing. You know, I was like, okay, I want to make my living being a bass player. But the reality was I was playing a lot of gigs that I didn't enjoy. Right. and barely making ends meet and and never having time to do music that I wanted. So I was like, I gotta find a better way to support myself and slowly work my way into the uh software development field, which is great. You know, it's it's enjoyable enough and it puts food on the table and it lets me focus my creative energy on just what I care about. So when I go out and play it's because I want to and because I enjoy it. And it's not because I'm trying to pay rent. Uh, yeah, I, I had to, um, I had to learn a, a similar thing where I've been, um, and I say this like on every podcast, but I've been podcasting for about 12 years and it's one of those things where I realized it was something I enjoy doing and I take it serious. Like this is, it may sound super pretentious or what have you, but I look at this as my art, my creative outlet. And 
I approach it as such. So any job that I do is like, I enjoy this enough that it's going to fund that creative endeavor, keep a roof over my head and food on the plate and be able to kind of do things that I want. There have been other opportunities where, Hey, you got a good voice. You should be on a radio show. You should be on a podcast. It's like, I had, and it's someone else's it's, you know, mm-hmm. money being exchanged. And it's just like, your podcast sucks or your radio show sucks. I don't want to do this. I rather right. just have that, that creative control and that um, ability to, if I want to talk about the movie predator for 30 minutes on a podcast, I can, and <laughs> it'll be fine. Right. Um, right. So let's see, let's see. Um, I guess as in your perspective, what piece of advice has been the most helpful for you and maybe a piece of advice that you would share to someone who wants to maybe delve a bit deeper into um, being a musician or even like venturing into more experimental music? Because we didn't even really touch on the experimental music piece of it, but what advice would you give for someone that may be interested in, in broadening their palette when it comes to music or maybe a piece of advice you got when you started out as a musician? Can I give you two things? <laughs> sure. Two is good. <laughs> is, is, is a piece of advice that I had heard, uh, but I, ne- I didn't really follow. And, and I can say more in, in hindsight, like it would have been good to follow. And I, and I, it's a, advice that I give to people now. Um, so there was back in Seattle. Um, I used to play with a guy named Avon Kang. He was a, he's a violinist composer and, um, and, and pretty, you know, pretty hard, you know, he's kind of like a, when I say violinist, you're not picturing it, but break the strings and smashing glass and, you know, pretty crazy shit. So <laughs> he, he came, uh, he came, he wasn't from Seattle. He was from Iceland. He had come, uh, he had come to go to Cornish College of the Arts there. And he had this idea. I don't know if you know John Zorn. John Zorn's one of the big sort of, you know, big names in um, in avant-garde jazz-ish music. Yeah. And uh, he had this idea that he wanted to play with John Zorn. Like that's that's kind of the direction he was heading, right? And that's especially back then. This is twenty-five, thirty years ago now. You know, yeah. it, it was pretty lofty uh, and and esoteric. But he, you know, his advice was take every gig, just go out there and take every opportunity and don't stop until you get where you want. And he did. He took every opportunity. He did everything he could. He played all the time. He didn't make any money, but within a few years, he was yep. in New York playing with John Zorn, you know, Bill Frizzell, all these cats all over the world doing exactly what he wanted. And, uh, you know, so I take that to heart and I tell people, you know, if you want to get there, Take every gig, meet every per- you play with every person that asks you, whether it pays or not, because those are all connections and they're all experience mm-hmm. and they're all going to get you a little bit further on your way. But the other thing is from my composition teacher, Kenneth Benshoff, um, and and this really applies in composing like written music, but it also applies in jazz, in, in every kind, of, in hip hop, in everything, and I, it's something I listen for. And he, the, one of the most memorable things I got from him was, if you think about music as like a building, and like, okay, this melody, this A section is the is the wall here, and this B section is the wall there, 
right? There's these different sort of sections, and they might look different, and they might feel different. But the corners are the important parts. Like, you can make the, the wall as beautiful as you want, but if you fuck up the corner, like, nobody's, nobody's going with you. Yeah. You've got to attention to the corners, and that's always stuck with me. Like, don't screw up those transitions. You've got to make it right. It doesn't have to be smooth. Maybe you want it to be rough, but be intentional. You know, make sure it's what you want it to be. That makes a lot of sense. I, I think both pieces make a lot of sense. Uh, the, the, the first piece, um, definitely it, it clicked, it clicks for me. It clicks for me. And the second piece, yeah, I think in kind of chewing on it a bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it makes a lot of sense. Cause you, you hear something that's just kind of off and it's like, nah, you try harder on that one. Do a little <laughs> bit more work there. Something's, something's out of sync there. Um, so in the last few questions I had, these are the Baltimore questions. And, um, outside of that, um, I give you opportunity to shamelessly plug anything that you want to plug. And this has been a treat for me. Uh, it's always good. Like talking to someone that's just, they, they know what they're talking about. That's what I'm hearing. Um, so let's see. Are you, you don't have a seafood issue. Do you, you don't have a seafood allergy? Do you or anything like that? <laughs> no, although I don't really eat seafood. Um, okay. Because I was going to ask the question of, like, where's the best crab cake at? You know, that's that's uh, the thing. You know, I've, I've never eaten a crab in my life. And I don't. Really? Huh. <laughs> hmm. Offensive. Slightly offensive. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, then I'll, I'll ask this one then. Um, if So this, these would be the two then. Um, what area in in baltimore city do you maybe get the most like inspiration from like what areas like yeah this has like really good design in the buildings here or that's some cool graffiti there or something along those lines what kind of gives you some of that creative juice and just being there because everybody has their different areas like i'll go down to station north and i just feel like i need to pull out the pen and the pad and write something down an observation or something what would that area be for you you know, I guess it kind of depends. Like, I, I associate areas more with the things that I do there. Sure. And I think the most, uh, I don't know. You know, I used to, uh, I guess I spend more time in West Baltimore than anywhere else. And I don't spend a ton of time in West Baltimore. Um, but... Uh, other than my own neighborhood, actually, you know, which is like the Pimlico neighborhood. And, and I, I like that, but I used to, when I used to work in, in Catonsville, I used to drive home from work most days up, um, what's it called? Fulton and, and then up Park Heights, you know, so this long, long road of row houses and, uh, I don't know, man. That that neighborhood d does always inspire me a little bit, I have to say. And then, uh, and then I've spent a lot of time with, you know, more related to jazz in the Pennsylvania corridor that sort of intersects yeah. that. And um, I, I think of of all the places, you know, you've got things like the Arch Social Club down there, and you've got the uh, Avenue Bakery. And uh, my friend Todd's place, uh, Jubilee Arts, down there. And there's all these kind of really interesting things going on and it's kind of like it's where the jazz scene used to be and it isn't yeah. anymore but it's sort of the historic was the historic strip and that sort of it still gives me this uh this 
cool vibe that that I really enjoy. You know, it does. That's doesn't, good. That's good. It's um, it's good to check those areas out because it, it's just, it's just something there. You you walk through an area and you're like, yeah, okay, people are creative. It's it's, it's almost like how, if I go to an environment where I feel like people are learning, it it kind of pushes me inherently to like, I need to pick up a new skill. That, that's how I look at it, and I just it's just like an aura, or a vibe, or just like a creative energy that's just there and. It's, it sounds very metaphysical, what have you, but it, it's just there and it hits me. And I think everybody has their, their place. Um, and the last question I have for you um, would be if you have someone, if someone's uh, like talk chatting with you and they're saying they're coming into Baltimore for a long weekend, this is post COVID or, or non COVID. Um, what are three things that you think they should do? If they come here for a long weekend, they've never been here before. What would you say? You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. I would say you have to go to the session on Monday night. I do okay. say that everybody who comes in again, like not during COVID, <laughs> but normally, and it's gone, it's, it's rotated, it's moved from a venue to venue over the years, but it's always been Monday night at some venue. And, uh, I bring everybody that everybody I know brings everybody to that. Like if you're in town, you definitely got to go to that <laughs> session. And, um, so that's number one. Um, number two might be a little weird, but for me, uh, the BMAs, the BMA, but specifically the, uh, Andy Warhol's last supper, which, okay. you know, they just had this whole to, to do about, they were going to sell it. And then they backed down. I'm really glad they did. Um, because to me, I, I don't know why, something about that piece, I go in there and I just, this huge expanse really uh, gets me. And I, <laughs> I always try to take people there. Um, right. And then uh, I think the third thing would be uh, uh, Leakin Park and the, the trail sculptures and uh, the ice house and all the kind of weird stuff that's hidden in the woods there. Not the bodies so much, but you know, there's all this <laughs> other, kinda, um, it's just a, it's a really cool park and it's got, you know, the, the, just the idea that like there's this, this, uh, prayer circle, you know, stone circle maze thing. Yeah. And then there's all these sculptures and then, you know, it's like people have come together and put all these different energies into that park. I always enjoy it. Well, that's great. That, well, one, thank you for sharing that because uh, it sounds just like different areas and it's a very um, kind of encapsulating like vibe of what Baltimore has to offer in terms of culture and in that art scene. So that's probably the best answer I've gotten to that question. It's not like, hey, you got to get fried chicken from here. You got to go here, have a drink. It's like, no, take in culture. You can get all of this anywhere. Yeah. Um, so um, I thank you for that. And um, I thank you for coming on to the show. So do you have anything that you want to plug social media, B, uh, BJA site, any of that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, BaltimoreJazz.com. Um, that will lead you to everything else Baltimore jazz related. But, you know, we, uh, again, we're out there just to, uh, just to help people connect with the great jazz scene. And uh, we have a newsletter. We have articles on the website. We have a calendar of all the jazz, even now during COVID there's, there's live jazz going on and there's live streamed jazz going on. And we try to keep our calendar up to date. We send a uh, email blast and a social media blast out and uh, you can get all, you know, get hooked up with all that. We have our Facebook group and our Facebook page and our Twitter and Instagram and all that. You can get hooked up with all that at baltimorejazz.com. 
Well, that's great. Thank you so much. This has been a real treat for me. Um, so I'll do my sign off. Um, so for Ian Rashkin, I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art and jazz in and around Baltimore. You just have to look for it. Mm-hmm.